0: Turn now back to the book of Psalms and chapter number 2. Psalm 2. And we can read at verse number 7. Psalm number 2 and at verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession, and so on. Now, as we reflect on the morning, and as we simply remem- remind-, remind ourselves uh, this evening of the passing of the Queen uh, and the impact that has had on our nation, and as we uh, give thanks uh, for her life and for her faithfulness, uh, we Note, of course, that uh, this is the end of her long uh, 70-year reign, Uh, and because of that, we note that her son, Prince Charles, is now King Charles, having acceded to the throne on the passing of his mother, Uh, and we saw something of the proclamation of that yesterday, and some of the prayers and the pledges that were made, uh, even pledges with regard to uh, the church in Scotland itself and we wait for the day of his actual coronation when that will be set and when uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury will lay on his head uh, the royal crown. Tonight we want to think of the king that we have in the psalm. And as we begin to look at the Book of Psalms, we see that psalm number one is about that special kind of person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but is delighted in the law of the Lord. There is a special kind of person. And we can take these first two Psalms together, so that that special kind of person in Psalm number one, is the person who is installed as God's king in Psalm number two. And we know from the life of the Lord Jesus, that he is the one who is, who was the perfect one, and who is the perfect one, and that he is the one who gave perfect obedience to God. As we do read the psalm, we notice also that there is an international conspiracy against God and against his king. And we know, of course, that's the way in which we find the world, that the world is against God and is Christ. And as we read through the rest of the book of Psalms, we will see from time to time that there is that conspiracy, there that is that, that conflict, that there is that suffering of the people of God because the world is not the perfect place that this king is going to establish. But we work through the book of Psalms as we work through life in order to come to that point in time when the ideal that the Bible speaks of in places like Psalm number two, when that will become the reality. And so tonight we want to look at the psalm against the background of her providence in the context of the book of Psalms and to think of the coronation of the new king. want to notice, first of all, that we have a declaration and we See in verse number seven that the psalmist is saying, or we can say that the Son of God Himself is saying, concerning whom the psalmist is written and written in a prophetic way, I will tell of the decree. The king Himself wants to tell something of the decree of God. In other words, there is a royal law. There is a royal charter, There's that, there is a, a Magna Carta for God's king as he ascends to the throne. We can read back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and at the end of that chapter we see the way in which God sets out the, the work of the king and the life of the king. We see in the history of the book of Kings, for example in 1 Kings chapter 11, we see the way in which... the the Jehoiada is crowned and he is crowned and they gave him the testimony which is what the, the Deuteronomy 17 speaks of and which is the book of the covenant that the king is going to write for himself and which is going to be that through which he is going to live his life. I will tell of the decree and whatever King Charles will will understand and will know, and of course you will know, with regard to the documentation that that surrounds this the very declaration of him being made king. We come to think of God's king and the son of God, and we do remind ourselves that he has, in a particular way, a particular document, and that that document summarizes and captures and also gives all of the detail of all that his reign means. And when we read of the decree, it is the document that legitimizes the reign of the king and his installation. And no king is in place anywhere without that kind of legitimacy and without that kind of documentation that establishes on what authority The person is made king. And when the Son of God tells us of that decree, he gives us an insight into a conversation that takes place between himself and God. The Lord said to me. It's on very rare occasions that we have any kind of insight into a conversation between God and his Son, Here is one of the few of these places. We can see perhaps in Hebrews 10 another of these you have prepared a body for me. There are rare occasions when the curtain is drawn back and we are raised in our thinking uh, to overhear as if it were what God is saying to his son and what his son is saying to God. The Lord said to me you are my Son, and of course the son of God was always the son of God but there is a real way now when when Jesus is raised from the dead when he enters into the presence of God and when he is addressed in this way God is saying to him you are my son he is speaking of an additional element to the relationship of sonship which could only be his on the basis of the word given to him and we read in 2nd Samuel 7 as we as we saw last Lord's Day read of the promise given to David that God would raise up his offspring after him and there God says with regard to the person who he is going to raise up I will be his father and he shall be my son. There is a special bond, a special relationship that speaks of God's choice of his king so that this son of God who becomes the king of God is the one who who responds in Psalm 89 to the words that the father says to him, you are my son, he will cry to me, you are my father. That there is a moment of family intimacy between father and son in this very moment of this act of declaration and of insight into what God is doing. And when we think of the way in which that there is established in the reign of our new king, the way in which he is declared to be our king. That there is certainly in it an aspect of family relationship. He is there because he is the heir to the throne, or he was the heir to the throne. And on that basis alone he is there. And he will speak of his mother and speak of the great example that she was and he is able to say, as she did that only by the strength of almighty God will he be able to be our king. It is established within a family relationship. But we do come to, to God's king. And it's established on a much steeper, a much, a much more intimate, and a much more life-giving family relationship. And it's a declaration that is made not in the light and in the face of the death of our predecessor. It's a, a dedication that's based on, on the declaration that the Son of God has come back from the dead. Today I have begotten you. You have become my son in this new way today. And we see Paul speaking in Acts chapter 13 and he applies the words of this psalm to the resurrection of Jesus who was raised from the dead according to the promise of God the Father. And and here is that very moment that the Son of God who was laid in the tomb, who died on Calvary's cross. According to the documentation of the kingdom of heaven, according to the charter, that you are my son, whom I am sending into a world where death reigns. And I'm sending you there to bear the sins of the world and to experience the death that my people deserve. And in the words of Paul in Philippians 2, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that death on a cross was not the means of terminating any hope of his reign or of his kingship. An actual fact, that very death is the basis on which. He has accepted the presence of God. And God says to him, you are my son. He has secured eternal salvation. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And because of that, the son of God is welcomed into the presence of God. And there with the power of the life that shall never end. Very sits on God's throne and there is the declaration of the fact that he is there on the basis of his sacrificial death. The declaration, the uniqueness of the Son of God as God's newly installed King. Installation that takes place after his resurrection and exaltation. King Charles on the throne because of the death of his predecessor and King Jesus on the throne because he conquered that death and he broke the power of sin. We'd assure these things publicly through the cross. And now he is declared to be the Son of God. And ought we not tonight rejoice as we seek to lift our minds, our thinking above what is happening around us in the world, solemn and important as they are, and to reach to the heights of thinking of King Jesus and all that he is and all that he has and to remember also in the words of Paul in Romans chapter 13 that the powers that be are ordained by God and we remind ourselves that as King Charles accedes to the throne he is also there with the authority of God and installed into that role by the authority of God there is a parallel between the two but of course the installation of God's king on God's throne far surpasses and places the installation of King Charles on our throne under the sovereign authority and power of King Jesus on the throne of heaven and the throne of the universe. The declaration. Secondly, we see the dominion. What is the scope of this king's kingdom? And to reach the an understanding of the scope of the kingdom. We see the way in which there is a process, there is a, a conversation appointed by God so that the dominion of this king will be reached, will be extended, will reach the boundaries of God's mind and God's thinking, and will do so only through and because of the conversation. And in verse number 8 we read, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Ask of me. Make your request. We read the prayer of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17 where he prays to the Father for himself, where he prays to the Father for the disciples, where he prays to the Father for those who are going to believe on his name. But there is this conversation, this request that is made by God's King, at God's right hand, ask so that I may make or give it to you it's an asking with a purpose the very asking will be the cause of this happening the means to the end of what god is purposing to do and when you think of of the conversation and of the requesting it's not because the father is not willing it's not because he has to be persuaded that, that this must take place. No, it is because of the very way in which he is already willing and because of the very way in which he, he wants to establish the reign and the dominion of his son through the important vehicle of communication. The communication through which we have the gospel, the communication which is at the center of of sharing the message of the kingdom, a conversation that takes place in the highest place of authority. Ask of me so that I may give you. You have given this to me. You have given yourself to me in your self-sacrificing death. And now ask of me, and I will give to you. And whatever King Charles will be given, whatever he asks for, we have here something that impacts upon him and upon us all. What is the asking about? What is the intercession about? I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Pass to you the ownership by inheritance of the nations. Here are the nations that we have at the very beginning of the psalm. Why do the nations rage And the people's plot in vain. These very nations. That are the arch enemies. Of the king of kings. And of God himself. These are the very people. These are the very nations. That will become part of the dominion. Of this great king. And that's why. We read in the psalm. And we can say tonight. He who sits in the heavens. Shall laugh. The Lord holds them in derision that the energy that is spent by the enemies of the nations of the world tonight against God and against his king thinking and believing that they can eradicate the kingdom of God and push christianity so far into the sidelines that it becomes meaningless and it loses its voice and will ultimately disappear and yet This God is is telling us here that his king will establish his reign and his dominion by capturing all of these, by, by bringing them under his authority and power so that they will sit in humility below him and under him. I will give you the nations for your heritage, the ends of the earth for your possession. How far do the boundaries of his dominion go? To the very corners and far reaches of God's creation. And we will read of that in in Psalm number 72 as dominion shall be from from sea to sea and from the river which was at the center of the, the geography of the Bible from the river to the very ends of the earth. King Charles will have dominion over the United Kingdom and and, uh, the commonwealth and what is left of of that commonwealth. But here is King Jesus uh, and his dominion will cover the whole of the earth. And the God who says to his son as king, you are my son my personal possession, my my precious one. I will give to you the nations for your possession. So that into this whole conversation between father and son comes the whole idea of the possession of everything that God has created. And when we read that God created the heavens and the earth, The very beginning of the bible we are reminded here that no matter what sin has done and no matter how much sin enrages the peoples of the earth against god that god's creation will be his own and that his son will be established as king over it his dominion to the very ends of the earth And we read of the prayer of jesus once more in in chapter 17 they were used and you gave them to me there is that possession that ownership that dominion over all the nations of the earth and at the end of the gospel of matthew where christ has been raised from the dead and, and made known made himself known to the disciples. We read in chapter 28 and verse number 19, all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. And because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage. And the mind of of the Lord Jesus uh, in his his resurrection the message to his disciples filled with all that that God's charter for him as king was to embrace and reminding the disciples of the role that they had as those who were citizens of his kingdom the role that they had in in ensuring that the dominion of Christ would be fully established before the end of time. The dominion will rejoice in King Jesus and God's Son because every corner of this sinful, broken world will at last become, will at last come under his reign and he will sit and he will hand everything over to God the Father so that God will be all in all the dominion. And thirdly, we have the dedication. <coughs> so important that her queen was dedicated to her role So important that our new king will be dedicated in his role as the servant of the people and as the servant of God. And especially important that God's son and God's king is dedicated in his own role as the one who sits on God's throne and dedicated, first of all, seeking the deliverance of his people. In verse number 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You shall break them with a rod of iron. It's the scepter of the king. It's the symbol of his rule. We mentioned in the morning the way in which Esther highlighted that nobody had access to the king unless he stretched out the scepter to them. It's the scepter of his rule and that rule is portrayed and practiced in different ways. And when we read through the Bible, we see that first of all, that that rod, that scepter of the king is the means of making disciples. It's the means of ruling over the people of God. It's the means of changing people and bring them in submission to the will of God and to bow down to Christ as their king. And in that way, it is the role of the shepherd who breaks them with a rod of iron. And it might seem harsh in the first instance that we're going to break anyone with a rod of iron. But the fact of the matter is that because of our sin because of our rebellion because we're conspiring against God it takes nothing less than the Son of God with the scepter of his kingdom to break our hearts and to break us in in every way so that we will fall down in pieces before him. Nothing less than that will change you or will change me or will change the sinful nations that are going to come under his rule. And so the the Son of God exercises the, the scepter of his kingdom and he does so as the one who disciplines with that family relational action of bring a people to conform and to embrace the values of the kingdom of God and to submit to being the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 49, we hear Jacob saying that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until all the people are gathered to him. And here is a message of the very work of this king, of the son of God, as he establishes his kingdom and as he gathers sinners around him as the one who has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's the shepherd with the scepter going out in his love and in his care to bring back the injured To restore those who are sick, to to strengthen those who are weak, to bring back those who are strayed. And we have that image in Jeremiah 31, where Ephraim is representative of the people of God who who are sent away from Jerusalem into exile. And we hear Ephraim in that case saying with regard to God you have disciplined me and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. He is recognizing that that God has worked with the scepter with his rod to inflict the kind of judgment, punishment that has caused Ephraim to remember. And because of that there is the prayer in the very heart of Ephraim the back to that same God whose rod has touched his life bring me back that I may be restored for you are the Lord my God. You see the way in which the scepter of the kingdom the rod of the shepherd in the work which it performs brings about a change in the person who is smitten by it and also brings along with it the recognition that this is nothing less than the God who is the covenant God, the God who is the God of grace, the God who is the God of salvation. And so the gospel is preached tonight. Our king is in heaven in all of his glory. And in many ways, his word is the scepter which he uses by the power of the spirit to touch your heart and to touch my heart and to break us down and to take away the resistance, to, to peel away everything that, that causes us to be an enmity against him. And in one way or another, he will achieve that so that you and I will come in submission before him and say to him, You are the Lord my God. Bring me back. You have caused me this pain, you have placed me in this position. And they'll recognize that you are doing that, that you are doing that for my good. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It is a family word. It's a family practice. It's what works to bring lost sinners to know God as their father and to know the blessing of eternal salvation. And Jesus, the Son of God, the King of God, is absolutely dedicated to doing that. On this rock I will build my church and the nations my rage. There may be standing blocks. The gates of hell itself will be against it but they will not prevail. They were huge says Jesus. We remind ourselves in John 17 they were huge and you gave them to me. I have made known your name to them for their sakes I sanctify myself I give myself for them and so they will become his and in that prayer for them and that prayer for his dominion to be established we will at last hear the prayer of Jesus Father, Holy Father I will that they whom you have given me be with me where I am and they may behold my glory. King Jesus and at God's throne where at last he will gather all of the people of God, the children, those for whom he gave himself In the words of Revelation 21, all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The dominion and his dedication to deliverance. How thankful we should be that Jesus is so dedicated and determined to save us for himself and to bring us safely into his eternal kingdom and to hear that although the nations are still raging and although they are conspiring against the king of kings, yet Paul reminds the church in Rome the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The dedication that raises before us the horizon of of eternal glory and brings us to consider how secure we are going through life despite the ungodly world around us and how certain it is that if Jesus asks for it, God does not withhold from him anything that has come from his lips. There is the dedication to salvation and there is also the dedication to judgment. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel the potter's vessel, a symbol of fragility, something that that is ready to fall apart. Is that not what we are? Because of sin it has it has given to us that our, our bodies are just like these clay vessels and so little will, will break us up. And here, the... King, The the king of God, the son of God, who has the scepter with which he, he saves his people, also has the scepter as that rod that will come forth from his mouth and with which he will destroy his enemies and dash them to pieces. And when he does so, when he comes in the day of his wrath. And as we come to the end of the psalm, that's what we see in verse number 10. Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. For his wrath is quickly kindled. The king of God who comes in the image of Revelation 19 and who comes and from his mouth is a sword with which he will strike the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he is clothed in robes dipped in blood because of the way in which he emerges from the winepress of his final judgment where his enemies are broken in pieces shattered by his very appearance and then in that moment death and hell itself cast into the lake of fire and Satan with them into that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth from which no one will ever anymore emerge. And then in the silencing of his wrath when he has judged the nations that haven't submitted to him, then in that moment he hands the kingdom, the church, over to God the Father, having destroyed death itself, having destroyed all of his enemies. They are now under his feet. And because of his dedication, we have the whole purpose of God to restore everything to its original beauty in the final paradise of which Revelation speaks. And so as we close, there is a great comfort in the God's King's dedication for our salvation. But there is a real danger for us tonight if we do not know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, There is a real danger because he is also dedicated and determined to at last judge those who reject him, those who continue conspiring against him and against God's kingdom. At last he will come to judge. And for us all, where will that find us? Do we feel secure or do we feel threatened? And the gospel is still preached And God's king is saying, come to me, all you who labour unto are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May God give us to rest in God's new king as we think of the changing circumstances around ourselves and the installation of King Charles on our throne. May our sights be fixed on King Jesus and may we pray for ourselves and for King Charles that we will all come to know the blessing of the salvation that God has purposed and he's willing to give to all those who put their trust in his son. May God bless his word let us pray. Most gracious God we bow before you, we give thanks to you for your word, we bless you for Every way in which it speaks of the glory of your son, of his kingship, of his reign, of uh, his dominion. And we are thankful that the day will come when the promises given to him in this psalm will be fully enjoyed by him and seen by him and will be fully enjoyed by all of the people of God. So bless our hearts with grace, bless our hearts with faith. Give to us to believe in your son that you may have life today. Have it in all of its abundance and know what it is to have the gift of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear our prayer and accept us for Jesus' sake. Amen.